Welcome to the We Go There podcast. I'm Lexi. And I'm Nikki. And our favorite conversations are when someone starts by saying, this might be TMI, but... Exactly. We go there. Because no topic should be too taboo, especially when it comes to women's health. We ask the questions you may be too afraid to ask and interview the experts to get the answers you need. So we're doing this completely unfiltered. 100%. Okay, let's go there. We are so thrilled to welcome Karen Irwin, the founder of Rue Family, to our podcast today. Karen and I are actually childhood friends. We grew up across the street from each other and likely tormented our parents together in all the ways that Karen now has built her business on. Karen also has helped me survive the terrible twos and now threes with Piper. And I'm actually about to get some uh, sleep consulting training for Clark because he's up at 5 a.m. right now and has been a tremendous resource when it comes to supporting and navigating the parenting challenges that we all likely experience. Her techniques are simple and effective. Effective. But today, Nikki and I are very excited for our conversation because we are truly going there and getting expert advice from Karen on how to have the tough, awkward conversations with our kids about sex, masturbation, all the things. Who's cringing right now? Me. I'm totally cringing. Cringing. So I'm just going to assume that the advice probably Karen's going to give today does not include starting with, you know, the birds and the bees, but we're just going (laughs) to leave it to Karen. So welcome to We Go There, Karen. Yeah. Thank you both for having me. I'm excited to have this venue, to have this chat and share all this great information with you and, and your community. We're so excited. And so I guess... We were just saying uh, and briefly trying to recall and sharing when we were told and taught about sex. So, Nikki, I'm I'm passing it to you. Okay. Yeah. So, you know what? I didn't get any type of a talk until we were in the car driving to university. And it was like, (laughs) "Um, are you, you know, with your boyfriend? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and that was the extent of that. And I just remember it was just so awkward. And I remember wanting to like crawl out of my skin and like jump out, out of the car. And we were on the 401 driving to Montreal where I was going to school at McGill. And I was like, ah, but like it was just one of those things where, you know, and that was it. And and it's funny. I and I I think that, you know, thankfully everything was okay. But I do think that like learning how to have these conversations with your children at a younger age would be a skill set I would like to acquire now that I have two of my own. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, your parents were like one of my suggestions, which we'll get into down the way is, is actually to have it's the car is a good place to have a conversation about this. So they were on the right track in that regard, but uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe a bit earlier. In yeah. Your childhood. <laughs> well, yeah so what, I think that's a great place to start. Cause I don't even recall when I had the conversation and my parents were quite liberal and really like led with respect in terms of I slept over my boyfriend's house and things like that. So what's the right age to have that conversation? And I agree with the car because I guess you just can't, you can't run anywhere. Yeah, yeah. But what are <laughs> yeah. the right ages to start? Like when should we be having these yeah. uh, or starting the conversation? So really we should be starting to have these conversations with our children at the beginning of childhood. So when they're babies and we need to continue to have the conversation 
as they grow and develop through their childhood. And really, there are two reasons that I think why we do this. One is because obviously our kids, you know, understanding of information and their cognitive skills develop as they grow. Therefore, you know, we need to expand on the information that we're giving them. But, you know, it's nice to be able to build on top of things that we've shared um, from when they are, you know, babies, toddlers, preschoolers, um, because that's just going to enhance their understanding and their comfort around the topic. And then my second reason, you know, why we start young and continue as they grow is I believe that that really creates a culture in your home where it's okay and normal. Uh, normal to talk about sex and puberty and, you know, sexuality. And the reason why we want to create that culture in our homes is so that we are a place where our kids can come and ask us those questions and look for, look to us for support, especially as they get older. And they're in that sort of tween teen phase where we know that if we haven't created that culture, they're going to go to other resources and those resources might not be accurate um, or as supportive as they need to be. So that is also a huge reason why I think it's, you know, start young and build um, as your kids grow. Yeah, I really, really like that a lot. So I've got so many questions. Okay. So <laughs> Lexi and I both have a one, basically a one and a three-year-old-ish, mm-hmm. you know, Um and, and so when you say start young, I mean, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great question. And so here's the thing that we need to remember all throughout childhood is that us as parents need to be the, the, the people who are providing age-appropriate, accurate information to our children around the topic of sex and um, body parts and puberty and all these, these topics. And so for example, if you have a one-year-old, I think a great place to start is to talk, start talking about body parts and using the accurate terminology when you're talking about body parts. You know, this could be in a formal way, like you are looking at a book and you're talking about the body parts. It could also be in a more non-formal, natural way where, you know, you're in the bath and you say, you know, you have a penis and mommy has a vagina. This is just a way that we're exposing children to these terms. And we're also helping them start to shape their understanding of body parts and how you know, there are different body parts. And then eventually, when as they get older, that's going to be helpful as a building block. You know, as our children get older, so I often recommend, you know, around preschool age, it also coincides with when children are maybe entering into child care settings or having people come into the home to help care for them. They're also just being exposed to more people. I think that is a great time where we start to talk about consent uh, and also talk about, um, you know, who we share our bodies with and who we do not. And that's a really great time to start having that conversation. And so to put that into context for you guys, if that's okay, because I think it's helpful for parents, Mm -hmm. two ways that I can think that we could do that, say with a three-year-old is, you know, when they're getting um, undressed to get into the bath again, we can say, you know, I wanted to share with you the times when it's okay to get naked and the times where it's maybe not okay to get naked. I also, you know, maybe could share with you the type of people that, that, you know, like for example, mommy and dad, Daddy can touch your private parts, but other people cannot touch your private parts. And if, if, you know, you're asked to get naked in a place that's not to get in the bath at home, you need to come and tell mommy and daddy that. 
And I think that that's a really like tangible and natural way to have that conversation with your child that's going to be helpful to them. Then too, you know, we talk a lot about consent and we want our children to understand, you know, consent and that they have a, you know, that they're in charge of their bodies and they can say who and who doesn't touch their bodies. And that's something we want to evolve with them as they grow older. And this is also a really great age to be able to, you know, if your child doesn't want someone to hug them, empower them and do that dialogue where you say, oh, it doesn't look like Max wants to be hugged today. Um, he's just not feeling that way. That's what I'm hearing. So he'd be happy. Would you like to give a fist bump or a peace sign instead? That's showing your child normalizing consent's cool, showing them that it's okay and giving them the empowerment empowering them. The other thing too is modeling consent. So if you know you're tickling like your child's tickling you, you could sometimes say, you know what, I've had enough of your your hands touching my body. I think I'm done with this game. Let's put on some music and dance around instead. That's another way for this age group that we can explain consent that's meaningful for them that's really starting that foundation for as they grow older. Oh my goodness, so many incredible tips that you just gave. I'm going to have to oh. this again. <laughs> I'm going to re-listen to this so many yeah. times. So many good tips. And with body parts, because Piper is really like very, we've always been penis, vagina, and, but then obviously it gets to, um, she knows, I don't know if she thinks that it, because I really try and normalize it. But then when you over-normalize, then she thinks it's funny to, you know, say, vagina at the same, dinner table same mm -hmm. with gabrielle she yells it like vagina <laughs> and then laughs <laughs> right exactly exactly and <laughs> you don't want to and i try not to laugh but i mean <laughs> right right so okay here's a couple tips for that so first of all I, I mean, it is a positive that our kids are aware of these words and using them. I think that maybe they are using them in these settings. One reason is they're testing them out because they're new and they don't really understand like when this word is supposed to be used or, or how it can or cannot. And so I think one thing that you could do is qualify at the dinner table, for example, like that's a word that we say for the bathroom or for your bedroom. Let's use it when we're in those spaces. And that would be a great way to, you know, not give it an a crazy reaction, but given a constructive reaction that then, you know, they can start to differentiate when we use this word and when we do not. And the thing that's going to also help help with that is then when you're in the bathroom, let her say the word. And that that tangible helps her start to realize like, oh, I'm in the bathroom, like that it connects with this space and I can say this word. So that's, that's the other thing. The only other thing I could suggest around that is because sometimes we do laugh, you know, we're humans, it's natural, whatever. And we of course don't want to give kids big reactions to things, but if we do that, you could say, oh, I think that may, I'm laughing, but I think maybe you could try something else that could be funny. Like maybe tell me a joke and then laugh to that. That kind of like gets you out of it. Um, and also teaching them that, you know, that's not an appropriate thing to make people laugh. There's, there's other things you could do instead. <laughs> We're all laughing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm okay. laughing as she, I could just picture going to the bathroom and just screaming vagina just to get it. Oh, yeah. Right. But oh, yeah. yeah. It'll also get a bit old, right? <laughs> so, true. true. Yeah. Especially if they don't get a reaction, right? Like exactly. they get the reaction and they want to keep doing it because they're getting the reaction. Okay. Right. So, okay. What about the actual, the actual conversation about sex? 
So we've mm-hmm. talked about the body parts. That's good. We're there. Mm-hmm. Lexi, high five. We've we've done that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, an air high five. <laughs> I need to I need to do the consent conversation. I have not yet done that. Um, mm-hmm. so that's a really big one. Um I, I guess I have two parts of this question. I've heard that it's a good idea to have a word. Um, where like, if, if you have like kind of a safe word, maybe you can, you know, I don't know if that's something that you recommend people to have, but, um, I've read posts on it online. So, you know what I mean? If, if they feel like something has been, they can't talk about it, Mm -hmm. um, God forbid something happened, but then you have a word and then you, they know that that word means that something bad happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that is a great idea. And the reasons why is because it's going to be more meaningful to your child. Um, They'll have a comfort level around that word, which we know when, especially with young children, when they feel comfortable around something like saying the word, um, you know, whatever it is, sesame, or I'm just making something up, but they, they will use it more. So that's positive. I think the other reason why we say providing children with a safe word is because you can actually use that in, you know, um, what, what, like you could rehearse that, so to speak. So you could hypothetically say, you know, so if someone touches you who isn't, you know, supposed to, isn't in that list that we've spoken about that is okay to touch your private parts and you want to tell mommy, you could use this safe word. So let's pretend that that happened. What, how would you say the word to me? And they can practice it. And that again, develops more comfort around it, enabling them to be more successful in using it if they, if they need to. Um, so those are two benefits that I think, um, about having a safe word. And then also, sorry, the last thing is I do find that families have more comfort talking about these topics in that way. And so, Hey, if that makes you feel more empowered and comfortable as a parent, then so be it, like do it. Um, because that's just the the most important step, right. Is being able to, to have the dialogue. That's yeah. really good. Thank you. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And I feel like that would also be potentially relevant even like with high school age. Like if they call mm-hmm. you on the phone and they're at a party and they they say mm-hmm. sesame or whatever, mm-hmm. then you, you know, know what else as you make that point that I think is also great about this the word um having a safe word is as children grow and evolve, they might you can have touch points. You know, when you were six, the word was sesame. Does that still work for you or should we try something else? The great thing about this is it, again, gets their involvement, it's empowering and all that, but also it provides just one more touch point where you can have this conversation as they've grown and developed and, you know, are going to be in new different situations or whatever. So that's also, I think, a great thing about that. In the car, driving to university, you make up a new word. Yeah. Right. So, you know what? That word's getting a little old. Let's talk about consent. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just to refresh. By then, mom, we talk about consent all the time. (laughs) Hopefully. Which, hey, it's good. Hopefully, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Um, And what was your part two, Nikki? It was just about like the actual like sex, sex conversations and be yeah. So, yeah. What age is optimal? Like, what is the, so I love the idea, like Nikki said, of like the consent conversations while they're young and I can see that building. And then when, especially like nowadays where everything just keeps getting younger and younger and younger, and there's so much out there on social. So, and, and kids talk and they're so mm-hmm. much more mature um, mm-hmm. than we were. Mm -hmm. Uh, what's that time, like the ideal age, I guess, to really have a conversation about sex. And do you do it as that, like 
this is the conversation or do you gradually again, build onto it? Mm -hmm. So, so I think there are two times. So, and it depends on your child. So I think children, one of the amazing things about them around these conversations is they're very aware and they're not shy. So your child might ask you, like, for example, maybe they're, they're maybe you or their aunt or teacher or whatever is pregnant and they are growing a baby inside of them. And your child asks you, you know, how did, how's the baby get in there? That would be a natural point to start and initiate this conversation and to have that. And I can, in a minute, get into some, like some scripts or some things that you could say, but so that from like in my, my sort of world is following their lead. So if your child is leading that they want to, they're asking the question, then follow their lead and give them accurate age appropriate information. Another time is, actually, I can think of three times. Another time is if your child starts using the the word sex and because they've heard it from their peer or from media or whatever, a song, you know, that again would be a time that's natural and important to have a conversation. And a great way to start that would be like, I heard you use that word sex. Like, what do you know about that? That's a great way to gauge what your kid knows um, and build or (laughs) make sure it's more accurate, whatever might be both. (laughs) And then finally is, you know, there are also those children that have a temperament where they're maybe not as observant or they are quiet or, you know, they hear things and it just doesn't mean anything to them. So they shed it. And so maybe they've never created these natural moments. And so we then have to take the lead. And that's usually, I think, Uh, around an age where your child is doing a couple of things. Maybe they're being exposed to more media. So they're having, you know, they're on like their devices more and it might become something that they come across uh, accidentally. Maybe, for example, they're going to go to summer camp and, you know, they're nine and we've never really had those natural opportunities to have this conversation. They're going to be around a lot of people that may have. So I'm not saying they're going to engage in sex at camp, but, you know, they're going to be amongst peers where they might hear this and empowering them with that accurate information from you is going to really benefit them. So that would be more of like a formal time where we might need to like sit down and, and engage in the conversation because there have been none of those natural opportunities leading up to that. Right. And what yeah. would that script sound yes. like? Yes. Yeah. So, so, um, so I personally think that, you know, the, we need to, again, I've said it a number of times, but we have to be accurate. Um, we have to use the language that um, is truthful and, and we have to be truthful. And before I give you the script, the reason why Our children have amazing imaginations. They're in the magical thinking stage for a long time, and that's awesome, but it also can be a detriment to them because if we don't use the accurate language and the terminology, what happens is their imagination goes to places that could be very inaccurate and doing them a disservice. So yes, it feels uncomfortable as parents have these conversations, but actually that uncomfortable, tricky conversation at the onset is going to create a lot less discomfort as your child gets older or they use their magical thinking skills. So language that I would use, like say for, um, you know, like seven, like I have a seven and nine-year-old, even a four-year-old, I think like for all of those ages, 
I would say, you know, well, sex is when two grown-ups bodies come together and the sperm and the egg come together inside their body and they, they, they connect and they, it grows into a baby, which then becomes a child. Um, and one thing that I think is really powerful because, you know, is, and relatable to your kid is using an experience that connects with their birth story experience, for example. Then after we can say, but you know, there are lots of ways that a baby can be formed and it doesn't just have to be that that way. Maybe the sperm or the egg comes from someone else, but they still connect in some way to make that child. So that helps, you know, you um, explain sort of the, mecha the, the mechanics that maybe relate to your child, but then also go a bit broader um, to, you know, make them aware that there's not only one way that this can be accomplished. I think that I would leave it at that. And then if your child's like, well, how do the two bodies come together? Or how does the egg and the sperm get into the body? Or you can then follow their lead and give them some more information. Um, but I think that keeping it at that accurate high level point is going to help your child get a start. And then will help if they have more questions, probe them to ask them and then you can follow through by giving them more accurate information that would be meaningful to them. Does that help? Yeah. I'm taking notes. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, um, that, the, but you can see how I use the language, you know, sperm and egg, and they come together inside the body. Um, you could even say the part of the body, they come together um, inside if, if you want. Again, maybe that would be as your kids are a bit older. I think like with a three or four-year-old, that might, they may get lost in that uh, information. Oh my yeah. gosh. Like, does your four, has your four-year-old started asking? Well, we've had some pregnancies in our uh, like life in our, in his world. So yes, but I think it's been based on, on that. Um, so, but then, you know, as I said, like I have an older son that never actually, there were never any of these natural moments. So, so a more, <laughs> um, direct conversation had to happen. Um, just cause as he's getting older. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You never know. Can we, can we talk about, so can we talk about the masturbation piece and like mm -hmm. what, you know, like, especially this is our future. I feel like it's important obviously to talk about it with, with your sons and daughters, but also mm -hmm. with the, the sons, I feel like, I mean, there's like a whole other world of, of like wet dreams and the whole thing. Like, how do you approach that? Mm -hmm. So first, if we were to talk about the masturbation piece, I think that we need to take the shame away. And I think sometimes when we recognize what our child's doing, we're caught off guard and we might not be, you know, trying to, we don't think it's shameful to say, but maybe our reaction comes off as like, um, and that's something that I would try to avoid. And what I think around the masturbation for whatever age, if it's like a three-year-old that's discovered that part of their body and, and it feels good or an older child. I think that we do two things as we qualify. Like I notice that you're touching your penis a lot. And I think that's because it feels good. 
Is that right? And they'll probably say yes. And you say, well, you know, it's okay to do that because it's your body and it feels good, but we need to make sure we're doing it in spots that in, in our home that are appropriate. And so that could be in your bedroom or that could be in your bathroom. Um, and, you know, I think that that is, is important because, you know, we're, we're saying it's a normal and we're normalizing it. It's okay. We understand why you're doing it, but we're also qualifying, you know, where can we do it now? You know, if you have a young child, it takes a lot of repetition for them to get it. And I think the other thing that we do is if they're, they're doing this and they're not doing it in sort of more private places, then we, after we would follow up by giving them a redirection, you know, so you're in the living room right now, like playing this game. So why don't you, you know, play with your poppet? Cause that will keep your hands busy and feel good. But you know, that's, I know it seems funny, but that's us, you know, giving, redirecting them, providing them something else to do instead of us constantly like, no, no, stop that. Go stop that. That's not, which puts a more negative, shameful connotation towards it. Um, when you ask your question about like wet dreams and stuff like that, I think that here's the thing. I think that's when we start to get into having conversations with our kids about puberty. And I think that, um, you know, again, you have to sort of gauge based on your child's, you know, information level, comfort level. Um, and, but one thing, you know, I think there are those natural opportunities where we can start to talk about puberty with our kids. A great one that I think about is, I was in Canada's Wonderland in the, the you know, bathroom with my four-year-old and they were like, what's that box? And I was like, oh, well, you know, I said it's a garbage can that's here because, you know, as your body goes through puberty and you're a woman, woman, you have to maybe put special garbage in that each month. That was enough for him, but that's a good start to use that word puberty, which then maybe we can build on later. I think also when our kids, you know, why do you have hair there, mommy? And I don't, or I mean, if you go to wax on, maybe that doesn't happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, during, um, during COVID, that was a conversation. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, yeah. how come you now have hair? <laughs> right. So that's another place where we can say, you know, well, as your body goes from being a kid body to a adult body, you go through puberty. And one of the things that happens is you grow hair in places. Um, but these all start to have these conversations that then enables you maybe to have that more, um, you know, formal conversation about wet dreams, you know, as you enter puberty, this could happen. And then again, it's kind of around, like, I don't want to call it a safe word, but having a strategy, if this happens and you wake up and your sheets are wet, you know, why don't you just tear them off and throw them on the floor and I'll deal with them and I'll understand what to do. So preemptively having that conversation, following up with the strategy of what your child can do if this happens to them is really going to help them. It normalizes it. It creates comfort, which really creates a space where your child's going to be, you know, comfortable having these conversations and, and being using you as a support as they get older. I am so that was a big, so long I am learning answer. so, so much. I mean, I'm coming from a place of having zero conversations. So this is like, this yeah. is amazing. Yeah. And, and, and they ask so much because Piper's definitely asked when she's seen a tampon before. I mean, we sell vibrators at wax on. So I'm just waiting for that to come up. Like they're everywhere at my house. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> 
consider yourself lucky of all these natural moments. Right. (laughs) But I do love the, the preempting it and like being proactive about it, especially when it's linked to something like what dreams that could be something that again is associated with this shameful moment. Like, Oh my gosh, what happened? Did I pee my pants? Like you're pee my bed. Like what is going on? Um, making sure that they're feeling so comfortable. And then just, we don't even need to like talk about it if you don't want to just put your sheets on the ground and we all know what that means. And like, you're good. Mm-hmm. And I guess yeah. that links also to with girls and when they get their period for the first time and kind of proactively having that conversation, which I do recall that. And my mom did have that conversation with me in the car. <laughs> Mm-hmm. We have to remember, like, sometimes we worry giving our children too much knowledge is negative, but actually knowledge is power. And we know that when children have, again, age appropriate, accurate information, they feel confident and, and in control. So when the, when it happens, they can manage a lot better and cope because they have that power of, of the awareness. Mm-hmm. So well said. So, so the period that. talk, like what's the ball? Is it like eight? Like I hear some, some girls are having their periods as early as eight. I was just turned 13. So yes, like, mm-hmm. no, like I think that's, mm-hmm. but I feel like I hear stories of kids getting younger and younger. So like what timeline? So one thing that I think, I mean, again, you, you need to gauge like your child's sort of comfort level or ability to retain and, you know, use this information in a way that's going to be beneficial to them. Um, and one thing that I do think, you know, it might be uncomfortable for you and for your daughter, you know, like, if, especially for the initial to sit down and like have a conversation about periods. But one thing, again, to kind of start the conversation and build comfort is talk about your experience. You know, I didn't know if you know this, but like every month this happens to me and this is how my body reacts and this is what how I feel and what I do. And and, you know, that's something that happens as your body transitions from a girl's body into a woman's body. And, you know, I just that, 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 you could also say, I just wanted to let you know, because that might be why I'm really screaming my head off a lot today or whatever. Uh, right. But that is so maybe you have a seven year old. That is a way to in, start this conversation. So then later, like in a year or two or whatever, uh, maybe their friend has had their period or they heard about it on TV or whatever, you could then sit down and have maybe a more formal conversation about it, but it's not out of the blue because there's been some, some introduction to it. Um, the other thing too, I was going to say is, you know, I realize like I have the knowledge and experience of talking about tricky subjects. So this stuff rolls off my tongue and maybe it doesn't for everyone, um, which I get. There are a couple things that I like to suggest to parents is, you know, maybe reading a book with your child is a great start. Sometimes too, if you don't want to, if you don't think that'd be receptive to sitting and reading a book with you, you reading that children's book about this topic gives you language and phrasing that's age appropriate or watching a video. You can watch it together. Um, and that's again, a way you connect and you can follow up with questions or you watching the video yourself, giving you that language and that repertoire. And I also recommend to parents, not that you have to be like a smooth script because we are like humans and that's almost one of our best assets around these conversations is our natural sort of way we do it. But maybe driving in the car by yourself or in the shower, just like 
saying some phrasing to practice rolling it off your tongue can be really empowering when you're then in the moment you you seem you feel and maybe seem like you have a bit more confidence which can be helpful to everyone involved I I would so love like a list of like books that you recommend or, I mean, we can put that in the resources here. Yeah, for sure. Show notes. Um, But I, I literally learned everything from Judy Bloom. Dear God, (laughs) is it me, Margaret book? Does anyone else, did anyone else read that book? No. Read that book. Yeah. Yeah. It was all about like, yeah, I think I was probably around 10 and I remember reading it like over and over again. Cause it's like, oh wow. Like this is real. And you learned everything from it. I mean, I just learned that like periods were like a big deal pretty much right. and like, what, you know, but yeah, that was, I mean, I think, I think we can probably do better. <laughs> but those yeah. are great. I agree. That's a good resource for, for maybe a kid that doesn't, is like super uncomfortable, even approaching the subject. It's just like gifting. I know my mom gave me some books. They, I, it wasn't that one, but same thing. It was like, at Christmas, I got some books and like, what's this? I open it, like close it quickly. (laughs) Don't want my parents to start teasing me. And the one thing about that is, you know, then later, I don't know, like month two, whatever later, you can be like, you know what? I didn't know if you had a chance to check that book, but if you have questions, like I'm here to answer them. And, and when I said about, um, in the car, So I do think like as children are older, maybe like nine, and we do need to maybe have a more formal conversation, it is best to have these types of conversations with children where we're not looking eye to eye. And it's not because like we, like when we look eye to eye, we make contact and connect with each other, which is positive, but sometimes kids feel embarrassed and that makes them feel uncomfortable, which is distracting them, not enabling them to be receptive of the information. So being in the car, that's a great spot or also doing something passive side by side, like playing a video game with your son, a video game that he knows and loves. That's like, you know, just mindless and having the conversation that, that um, passive activity helps them actually be more successful at, at, get taking in the information. That makes a lot of sense as well, for sure. So what about, we were taught, we, I think we had in our questions around, um, what if your child walks in on you and your partner having sex, what do you do? Mm -hmm. So obviously I'd recommend you try to set up your environment as best as you can, that that's not a regular occurrence, but you know, again, stuff happens and, I think like, I kind of think about this in how I talk to parents when they're working through a challenge with their kid, like when they're tantruming. I think in the moment, we do not give teachable moment or make excuses or we just, you know, oh, like, oh, you like, sorry, like the mommy and daddy were having a private moment. And you know what, maybe we should talk about that later so we can explain more what was happening. I think that that's going to be best for everyone involved, because if we right there, oh my gosh, we're having sex, this is what it is, we're going to love each other, like that, that, you're, that's like overstimulation, your child's not going to take any of that in, I know you would mean well, but it's just actually going to overwhelm them, so we can just try to stay as calm and cool as possible, you know, make a, that also might be a blanket statement you want to practice in the shower or the car by yourself, so you, just in case, but you know, if you, mom and dad were having a private 
private moment. I'm sorry about that. Or you don't even have to say sorry about that. You could just say, but maybe this is something we could talk about at another time. That like helps curve it. And, and then it is important that you follow up at another time. It can't just be like your get out free card. You really do need to follow up. And that might, again, sort of be like a natural opportunity to have this conversation. Right. I told it would be like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, 1000%. <laughs> we love each yeah. other. Yeah, you can say that. We're wrestling. <laughs> We're just wrestling. Yeah. Wrestling. Yeah. 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 So try not to use the wrestling because that's not accurate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I get it. Yeah. Definitely not. No, I prefer your sound bites. I'm literally going to have to listen back to this and just yeah. write down all the sound bites. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. We had all these amazing questions and you've done such a great job of answering them. Is there anything like, you know, we listed them out and you've literally touched everything and more. Is there anything that you find that you are constantly repeating to parents, like generalized advice that you feel like in a way you're a bit of a broken record? Cause I think that that's like a good. Yeah. Tip. Yeah. Well, one thing that I could mention that, you know, I think a fear that parents have there is like, so I have this conversation and I'm all ready and I do it as best I can, but what do I do when my kid asks me a question and like, I don't know the answer to the question or I'm not ready to answer that question. And so sometimes that debilitates parents from having this conversation. And so what I like to tell parents is your kid's will maybe have questions and there is nothing wrong. It's actually beneficial and empowering to say, you know what, buddy, that's a really great question. And I actually don't know the answer to that. So let me write it down in my phone, figure, you know, do some reading, ask around, whatever, find the answer. And I'll come back at another time and, and, you know, share what I found out with you. This is so great because one, it, it gives you that space, which is important to figure out how you're going to answer it. Two, it lets your kid know, like, we don't have to have all the answers. You, kid, don't have to have all the answers. That's okay. That's normal. And that we embrace that and can work through that. And then finally, is it creates another opportunity to have a touch point to have this conversation again, Um, which, again, as I've said over and over again, like, that is going to be huge in making sure your child continues to understand and the knowledge continues to grow with them as they grow. So that would probably be one of my best tips to leave um, for families, hopefully to empower them and, and, you know, take a bit of that fear out of, of all of this. So, so such great, great information, great tips, and so many incredible sound bites in here that I know everyone will be able to use. I know Nikki and I will be able to, and we'll just practice on each other, Nikki. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> age, be like, are you having the conversation? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, no, it's awesome. And thanks so much, Karen. And for everyone listening, um, follow Karen at Ruth a ru.family um yeah. and you can check out our website everything will include in our show notes um she's an incredible resource for these types of topics but so many more i think your um skills in mastering tantruming i know works really well for piper and even going to school with taking three breaths and things like that that you've coached through are awesome awesome techniques so um look forward to everyone following you around or along and thanks so much again for coming on this has just been this is one of my favorite favorite. Absolutely. Uh, Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you both for having me. And uh, 
you know, I look forward to hearing how it all goes. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be doing a follow-up for sure. (laughs) Thank you. Bye guys. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, follow us on Instagram at WeGoTherePodcast and check out WeGoTherePodcast.com for more info.